Welcome to the Region Free Gamers podcast. Today, the best of the rest in 98. Welcome back, everybody, to the Region Free Gamers podcast, the podcast that is fluent in gaming. My name is Ozzy, and I will be your host for a very special episode of the King of Games 98. Uh, We are now into the finals, but before we get into the actual finals, we want to talk about some of the games that we missed. But before we get into that, I want to remind you all that the best way you can support us is to go over to Apple Podcasts and take a very, very sturdy sledgehammer to that subscribe button. If you really want to make our day, though, then you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and trust me, you will put a smile on all of our faces. So who do I have here today? Uh, out in Canada, we have our dear friend, Paul Romalo. Hey, Paul. Hey, everyone. I'm Paul. Apparently, I really like pancakes. I didn't realize this was a topic of conversation <laughs> now. <laughs> Is this uh, one of our inside topics, uh, pancakes, <laughs> the International House of Pancakes? Uh, I mean, we are region free, so they could kind of become our sponsor um, we are working on that behind the scenes, guys. So uh, eventually we'll be able to give you coupons for uh, International House of Pancakes. Uh, Which are useless to me, by the way. Like I have, I'm relegated to making them at home because unlike Anthony, not all of us live only a stone's throw from my That's a long time ago, Paul. That's not the life any of us live now. Oh, that's true. Nobody's going to IHOP now. Actually, let me re- let me rephrase that. I am actually in Miami. So recent developments, guys, I because of the pandemic, um, I decided to go from New York to my hometown of Miami. So as I record this, I am in sunny Miami with 80 degree weather and a beautiful sunshine outside my window. And guess what? Less than one quarter of a mile away, an international house of pancake with a drive through. So <laughs> son of a unbelievable. Ball. Eat your heart out. <laughs> what, what is going on I am on trying to make there connections there. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So um, there you go. I'm in Miami. So we are even more uh, dispersed now. Uh, but out in Rhode Island, uh, we have our youngster of the group, Arnaldo Perez. I think that my IHOP is like 10 minutes away, if that makes you feel any better, Paul. Oh, no, yeah. no, not really. Because <laughs> my IHOP is... A plane flight and then another hour probably. (laughs) (laughs) And out in New York with uh, an IHOP that is so close yet so far, we have our Bronx fiend, Anthony Arriaga. This sucks. I cannot go to IHOP right now. Like, (laughs) this is making me so sad right now. Region Free Gamers brought to you by IHOP. Um, (laughs) I I I would kill for an IHOP sponsorship. Um, I'm trying to make it happen, guys. I'm pulling all the strings. I would sell every single one of you down the river for, like, just a couple coupons. (laughs) You know, it's funny you say that. We'll be sending all our listeners a bunch of coupons, and, you know, we'll get all their addresses, and we're going to spam them with IHOP, you know, (laughs) coupons. One of my friends, he actually has part ownership in an IHOP in Brooklyn. So, oh really? <laughs> it's all coming together. I can't believe this nonsense. <laughs> so you, so you can only this. exercise the coupons we send you in the <laughs> yes. Bronx. So you have to risk life and limb in order to get hey, your IHOP really fix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, all right. So uh, with that digression out of the way, and uh, it's a good way to get us back into character. I actually needed to uh, spruce up some of the rust because I haven't been on an episode for a while. Um, so I'm glad that we got that IHOP discussion out of the way. Um, it really got me into character. Are we but- really ever done with it, though, Ozzy? Because like I'm so. telling you right I, now, next episode, like Arnie's gonna be like, actually, I'm the CEO of IHOP, and <laughs> like I, I'm well, without getting into too much of a digression, there's there's always this discussion with my fiance about IHOPs versus Denny's. And Paul, I imagine you don't have Denny's in Canada, but we do. I actually prefer. We do. Well, but I, I prefer Denny's. You prefer? I don't Denny's? know. I, I'm weird like that. I don't wow, know. It might, be a, it might be a Hispanic thing because when I was in Puerto Rico, like all we went to was Denny's like every time. But, you know, I think it's because it was what we had close to our school. And, you know, after we did our things on the weekend and we were out and about, you know, we always ended up at Denny's. At yeah, three OK. Uh, this, this all so, makes sense now, because like to me, having Denny's is like having Miller Lite versus a craft beer. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that Come was the on, thing man. Is like, I, I hope it's no craft beer. Well, Come on, is, get the I hell out like, of here. For me, it was more like I go to IHOP when I look respectable, right? Like when I'm presentable. <laughs> I go to Denny's when like I have nothing left to lose. IHOP is the place that you go to with your family after church on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. Denny's is the place that you end up when oh, you're yeah, hungover. You know, yeah, when you're a step after from a very so rough they're both equally good for different points in your life. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is exactly. two sides of the same coin, really. <laughs> All right, let's 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 bring it back, guys. Let's let's just take it back. Uh, what are we doing here? We're doing games, oh, so, wow. um, and we're doing King of Games '98. Um, and uh, you know, over the course of brainstorming which games we wanted to have as contestants in the King of Games '98 tournament, uh, we had a lot of heated discussions. Uh, we had a lot of back and forth. We were very. Uh, not in agreement about who, well, not who, but which games we thought would belong in the King of Games 98. I mean, there were some clear choices, Legend of Zelda, Metal Gear Solid, Starcraft, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, there were others, Spyro, uh, that we didn't know whether they belonged there. But, you know, eventually we learned, you know, uh, as, as the Beatles say to, you know, come together and just, you know, try to make our differences go away and come up with something that would work for all of us, um, even if it was a very low baseline. Um, I think we did okay. I think the games that we picked uh, were all, at the very least, very, very good games. I agree. So, uh, so uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of regret, um, you know, but th- the issue is that our criteria for choosing what contestant belongs there is very subjective. So um, we all have different ideas of what we wanted in each particular game and what we were looking for. And because 98 was such a strong, phenomenal year, there was just a lot of games that if you try to boil it down to just 16, it was just impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, I may not have agreed with Arnie. Arnie may not have agreed with me and vice versa. You know, it's fine. He's usually wrong. But, um, you know, we, we agree to disagree. Um, but we, we made the compromises. But at the end of the day, we were still wondering, what if? You know, what were the other games that we didn't talk about that at the very least deserved the mention? And we felt like it was not fair to just kind of go through the whole tournament without making a mention of those episodes. So... 
you know, we wanted to call this the honorable mentions episode because, you know, we can chat about all the games that we, well, not all of them, but most of the games that we didn't pick that we fought for or that we really just wanted to give a shout out because they did something special. Um, So that's exactly what we're going to do with this episode. Each one of us will pick two games and we're going to get to talk about, uh, you know, why they deserve to be talked about and, and perhaps whether they deserve the spot in the rotation. So, why don't we get started? And we're going to start with the man up north, uh, Paul. Talk to us. Which is your first game that you would think uh, deserves a spot in the rotation or that you want to talk about? Ozzy, you know what? Actually, before we even do that, can I thank all of our listeners for listening? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, it's it's crazy because we didn't know if something like this was going to be popular or was, you know, people were going to be receptive to it. And it seems like people really enjoyed this whole uh, tournament. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a lot of work, mostly on Paul's side, because it's just doubled the editing. Mm. Uh, but it's been certainly worth it. And I, I don't know, I've had a lot of fun talking about this. And at the very least, we're going to have some very good memories about the choices we made. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's made for some very light, uh, you know, you know, light and fun discussions over Instagram. And, um, you know, people have had disagreements and people have stumped for their games. And, you know, I think it was a good format. So thank you, everyone, for listening and thank you for downloading it. I, I, I know it was a, a, a concept. It was an experiment, but uh, it seems like, you know, we did the right thing. So uh, maybe at some point in the future, we can bring this back, um, you know, in the form of, I don't know, King of Games 2001. Yeah, um, we would probably bring it back, I would say, in a in a smaller format because there aren't really that many years as deep as 98. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 2001, I would think, but it's yeah. it's still not as great as 98. This um, one, you know, we'll bring it back in a way that makes people less mad at us, hopefully. <laughs> well, Arnie, well, I am sure you will Arnie's find mad. a way. <laughs> you will find a way, my man. Um, we can always count on you. You're, you know, old reliable. <laughs> so, um, and one more anyways, thing, too, uh, actually, just before I get to my game. Um, don't forget to rate and review uh, if you enjoyed the show. Five stars, please. I know it's easy for us to get because, like, you start off on IHOP and Denny's and you just, the passion comes through and we just forget things. So, you know. But, Paul, I did mention that, so I didn't forget it. So I'm not going to let you get away with that. Okay, you'll have <laughs> to edit it out about... then. I could have sworn you didn't. <laughs> do you don't remember me saying that we're going to take a sledgehammer to the subscribe button? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do not ever doubt my qualities as a host. <laughs> awesome. All right. Now, now I know to like actually pay attention to what people are saying. This is good. It's a good lesson. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's like I don't know six six thirty in your time, so um, you know you, you get a pass. Yeah, uh, but I suppose so. Since you're already uh, you know engaged in that digression, unnecessary digression. Um, can you tell us what game? you picked um, as your first game that uh, you think is an honorable mention? Um, I picked a couple. And the first one is one that I really wanted to stump for, but it would have been impossible to convince you guys because it's one of those games. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's kind of like Panzer Dragoon Saga in that it's a game that not that many people played. I mean, definitely more people played Star Siege Tribes than Panzer Dragoon Saga. There's no doubt about it. There, It was yeah. a very, very popular game, just not as popular by any stretch of the imagination as, say, Half-Life, right? Mm-hmm. 
So just to give you some background on Tribes, basically it's a first-person shooter, but it's, oh guys, it's so much more. It's so much more. I can't even begin <laughs> to explain, but I will try. Basically, with Tribes, you have a game that is a whole bunch of firsts for the genre, and you can totally see the influence that it had on the genre today. I would say that the FPS games of today probably have more in their look and feel. They have more to do with Tribes than they do with Quake or mm -hmm. Doom, for example. Except for Doom 2016, right? Because, you know, obviously. But basically with Tribes, what you have is a game that, you know, it gave birth to open environments, for example, right? Like, I'll never forget the first time I played it, where every time you play Tribes, well, actually, I shouldn't say every time, because there are some base, there are some games where you don't start inside of a base, but often you do start inside of a base, and so you're walking through corridors, and it's just like every other FPS, and then you go outside, <laughs> and it's the first time in an FPS that you have this gigantic open environment and with some of the you know with some of the maps you actually jump off the base and you engage your jetpack and you float down to the ground and that's really where the beauty of the game lies is its verticality you know there's it there's kind of like a subgenre of fps the z fps or i guess z fps if you're in america and you're saying it wrong <laughs> But, uh, you know, Tribes was the first one, and I would say, to this day, still the best one. Like, I've played other games, you know, I keep looking for games that have that kind of verticality, and, you know, even to this day, none of them, none of them quite come close. The feel of Tribes is still unmatched, and yeah, you can see, you can see all the influences out there today. What 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 sort of uh, what sort of games you know would you say are influenced by Star Seas Tribes um, and and what elements of Star Seas Tribes? Because I think the big distinction for Tribes um, and I'm just going to call it that because eventually they sure. dropped the Star, Star Seas uh, moniker. Um, I think it's because it was a spinoff of another uh, of another uh, series, which was Metal Tech Earth Siege and Star Siege. That's right. Um, and so they just made it, you know, kind of its own series. And Sierra Online published the game. It was developed by a company called Dynamics, and it came out in North America on December twenty third, nineteen ninety eight. But I think, as you said, the big distinction for Tribes was the jetpack. And the jetpack gave it that sense of verticality that you mentioned, and it also gave it a sense of speed that you know you didn't necessarily see in other games at the time. I think that this game, you know, eventually something like Unreal Tournament was very influenced by Starsea's Tribes. I think that particularly the 2003 and 2004 version of Unreal Tournament were very influenced by Tribes in terms of its wide open spaces and the ability to kind of go up. You know, you would launch a disc in the air and then you would teleport. And so that sense of, you know, you can rain death from above, you know, it's something that I think Tribes did first. Mm -hmm. uh, but in your, you know, mind, Paul, what are the games nowadays that you see kind of being influenced by Tribes? Because to me, I see more of a Call of Duty Battlefield influence than, than Tribe. So I'm kind of curious as to what elements you think kind of have seeped down in the DNA of new you know, first-person shooters. Ironically, I would say Battlefield has more to do with Tribes than 
you know, for example, Doom or Quake, right? Because, I mean, you kind of had those two blueprints early on in the late 90s. You had the deathmatch FPS, which is what they all were, right? You know, Quake was just released the year before, and virtually every FPS that came in the next couple of years, it was just all deathmatch. When Tribes comes out, it has all these different game modes. The netcode was absolutely brilliant, and it was the first game that allowed the possibility of up to, I think, 64 players on a map. Now, conventionally, you would have about 20 on a map Mm -hmm. most of the time, um, you know, depending on which server you were playing on, but that's neither here nor there. So in that sense, I would say Battlefield has more to do with tribes in that you have more cooperation, you have these open environments and large amount of players. And then, you know, you have uh, Overwatch, you know, I would say that has more to do with tribes as well, cribbing a lot of the team aspects, the modes. And, you know, you might not think it, but Rocket League has a Mm. ton of its DNA in tribes. it's it's hard to believe, but you know the lead. I think the um, the director for Rocket League, or one of the directors anyway, Scott Rudy. He was the lead designer on. He was one of the lead designers uh, during the Tribes era at Dynamics. He was actually working on an expansion for Tribes that never came out. And Interesting. Yeah, with you know, for example, with Rocket League. So you have you have that you know you have that guy, um, Ben and Adam Beckwith. Uh, they go back to Unreal Tournament, which you just mentioned now. They worked on a vehicle mod for it, um, which eventually became the game, and I couldn't believe this name when I saw it, Supersonic Acrobatic Rocket-Powered Battle Powered. Cars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, I can't which, imagine why Rocket League was more successful than that one. Uh, you know, and I'll tell you exactly why. Because when they were working on the sequel for Supersonic Acrobatic Etc., what they did was they remembered a tribes mod that was um, that was widely available during the era. It was called Tribes Football, and football being like soccer, you mm-hmm. know, again with the Z and the Z there. So what they did was, well, we need you know for supersonic acrobatic rocket powered battle cars, we need to make more modes, right? Because we can't just have deathmatch; that doesn't cut it these days. And so what they did was they took Tribes Football. And they added it to the Rocket Cars game. And then in their office, as the story goes, they could not stop playing the Rocket Cars soccer mode. And they were like, you know what? This needs to be the game. And then you have Rocket League. Mm -hmm. And that's how it's born. It was a good decision. Um, And I guess, I mean, you're right in the sense that before this, you had something, you know, like the death matches and you also had Quake 2. All of those were more corridor based. You know, you had smaller contained spaces and with Starsea's tribes, you know, it just kind of opened up this massive fields. And the reason why you could do that was because of the jetpack, because that wouldn't have worked in something like Quake, because if you didn't have a jetpack, it would have meant for a slower game. Yeah, and a, if I a might... A slower, more visceral game. And if I might interrupt, Ozzy, the other thing, it's not just the jetpack. The What's commonly now known as skiing, a technique in the game, it's really one of the great stories from game development where something accidentally happens, sort of like the combo in Street Fighter Two. You know, somebody somebody brings this glitch to the producer and they're like, hey, there's this glitch in the game, this bug. I'm not sure we should take it out, though. 
And what they did was they left skiing in the game. And just to, you know, a very brief summary of what it is, basically, if you jump down a hill and you keep hitting spacebar to jump, what it does is it removes the friction of landing on the ground. So when you remove the friction of landing on the ground and you keep jumping, you get to pick up these incredible amounts of speed going down a hill, and then you can seamlessly glide into a jetpack-powered flight. And basically yeah. what it did was it kind of obsoleted all the vehicles in the game, but when it did that, it just opened up this whole new type of gameplay that relied on speed and finesse and, again, the feel of it. I I just have not seen it replicated. It was an yeah, incredible like, game. Uh, unlike Street Fighter 2, I mean, it, it eventually became a feature of the Tribes games. I mean, yeah. the skiing was part of the of the Tribes experience. Um, so I guess the last question before we move on to your other game, I mean, do you feel like, you know, it's Tribes hit its peak with the first game or do you feel like the sequels like Tribes 2 um, and Tribes of Vengeance, I believe, do you feel like they, you know, captured the feel of the of the original Tribes? Commercially, Tribes 2 was the more successful one. Uh, the original Tribes did not sell very well. They removed copy protection from it on purpose. They wanted people to pirate it just because they wanted people to play it and get the word out, which, you know, good on them. It was successful in that regard, and it paved the way for the great commercial success of Tribes 2. Mm -hmm. But Tribes 2 ended up kind of nerfing a lot of what made tribes one so great that and it was very buggy uh when it was first released tons of patches mm -hmm. you know it wasn't you know it, you can see the dna there but it never quite was the same so to answer your question the high point i think to most people who were involved with the series would have been the first one they just they just haven't quite been able to recapture the magic and i you know at this point sadly i don't think they ever will um you know, the name of the game has kind of been tarnished. I don't think there's very much value in the IP anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that the barrier to entry because of the speed involved is maybe a little bit too high. I think gamers had more patience in 99. I could just be generalizing, but with the amount of no, money... No, I definitely agree. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, and particularly PC gamers. Yeah, and plus with the amount of money into development these days, like the original Tribes was made with a team of, I think, 17 to 20 people, which yeah. that's not going to happen today, right? Like no. they have to get a better return on their investment because they're just going to hire a ton more people. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. that was a very long uh, yeah. answer to your and question. And before we move on, I just want to say, if you want to play the Tribes games, all of them have been made available for free. Uh, by the current uh, license holder, high-res games. So if you want to try them out and you have a PC, uh, you can do so for free. Uh, yeah. So you don't have to pirate it. People still uh, play the original to this day. It's, it's oh, quite imagine. incredible. Yeah, I imagine. All right, yeah. so let's move on. What's what's your second game, Paul? Second game is Radiant Silvergun. <sighs> nice, we get to finally talk about it. <laughs> I know. You and I had a little bit of a debate about this because... We didn't, I mean, none of us really thought of it originally. We thought of North American releases, but turns out Radiant Silvergun was released in 98, just mm -hmm. Japan only. So, you know, it, it might have made the cut had we kind of expanded our release dates um, mm -hmm. further, you know, to the, to the Japanese region. But we didn't do that. Um, perhaps we should have though, because we are region free gamers. Mm, we sh we probably should have. I, in I, hindsight. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a debate. I mean, I think you know we managed to get around the 
the rule because of the loophole that it just never came out in North America. So we only have one release date, you know, to rely on, and yeah. that's Japan. Exactly. So, uh, so I think that, you know, it's fine to talk about it as a 98 game. If we were using the North American release date, we would be talking about it as a 2011 game. <laughs> because that's when it came out worldwide on the 360. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to do that shit. Um, so, Paul, why do you think uh, Radiant Silver Gun was special? Oh, man, where do you even start with this game, right? Like, <laughs> look, here's here's the thing. It's, to me, among a small handful of shoot-em-ups that are just about perfect the only thing that might be off-putting about it to some people is the challenge mm. and even then i wouldn't say the challenge is that big a deal let's just let's start with the soundtrack can we start with the soundtrack oh absolutely <laughs> yeah hitoshi sakamoto you might know him as the guy who also scored final fantasy tactics and final fantasy 12 which both have especially tactics in my opinion just have unreal soundtracks a very underrated composer. Absolutely. Supremely, yeah, and yeah. one of them that's in the shadow of Nobu Uematsu and others like Yasunori Mitsuda. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to see that he just has not gotten the recognition he deserves because the soundtrack to Final Fantasy XII and Tactics are absolutely amazing. Yeah, and as soon as I wrote his name down, the first thing that popped into my head was how long until Ozzy craps on Uematsu? <laughs> and the answer was five seconds <laughs> that that wasn't crapping that wasn't crapping that was just mentioning that he overshadows yes uh sakamoto so. and he and he shouldn't in my opinion sakamoto should be right up there with him but and you know what i like about you know what i like about the soundtrack because i i got it on vinyl it was one of those uh data disc releases which i thought was amazing and i'm really hoping that they come out with a few more treasure soundtracks like Guardian Heroes. Yeah. Because um, Guardian Heroes is also a phenomenal soundtrack, a very rocking soundtrack. Yeah. Um, what I like about this soundtrack is that it has a very clear leitmotif. You know, it has like the same kind of main theme interspersed with all of its uh, soundtracks. Yes. And it's a very orchestral epic, not militaristic, you know, in the sense of, you know, marching snares, etc. But more in the sense of like, this is, you know, our resistance. This is our last, you know, defense, you know, against a, a, a really massive enemy or, uh, you know, we're facing very difficult odds. And mm -hmm. it really manages to carry that feel across in its soundtrack. Yeah, I don't know absolutely. if you agree with that, Paul. No, I, I completely agree. It has it has that kind of epic, almost desperate at times feel to it. And sometimes it's a little bit more subdued. You know, depending on the level and the tone of the level, it really blends very, very well with the game and sounds like a soundtrack you wouldn't ordinarily find in a shoot 'em up, yet fits very, very well. Mm. And, you know, not to take too long on Radiant Silver Gun, but the fact of the matter is the gameplay is gameplay where you have a developer like Treasure and they look at the shoot 'em up genre. And they say, okay, what sucks about this? Okay, mm -hmm. we're going to take that out and we're going to make it more simple. So, for example, in Radiant Silver Gun, you don't have floating power-ups flying around. So you don't have that. Now, to be fair, you know, there is tension involved in chasing floating power-ups. But in my opinion, generally speaking, kind of more annoying than not. Especially yeah. when the power-ups are like moving around and they're not static. Yes. You know, this is kind of my issue with a game like Raiden. Radiant Silvergun is just like, you know what, we're getting rid of all that nonsense. You're gonna have six weapons, seven if you include the sword, which we'll get to in a second. 
and they can all be accessed by either one button if you have a six button controller or button combinations if you have a three button controller. And it works perfectly. As you go through the game, the more you use a certain weapon, the more it levels up. And if you perform more combos, your weapons level up faster. So it's not just score that is increased when you destroy enemies in a certain way in order to combo. It's also your weapons leveling up. That's also your bonus. So that when you get to the end of the game, if you haven't been comboing, you're going to have underpowered weapons. You know, it's a great little system for that game. The other thing is the sword, where if you hit, you know, all three or all six, or if you have shoulder buttons, a shoulder button on the Saturn, it pulls out a sword that absorbs bullets and effectively becomes the bomb. You know, like bullet hell shoot 'em ups nowadays, you see them, they're still fun in my opinion, but the bomb that you see in most bullet hell shoot 'em ups, I'll be honest, I think it's lazy. I think yeah, maybe make yeah. a game where you don't have to put yourself in a position where you're getting so overwhelmed with bullets that you need a bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, and 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 Paul, I just want to you know interject here sure. for a quick second. Um, I, I think that Radiant Silvergun kind of represents kind of a digression in the evolution of the shooter genre. Um, we were seeing kind of the death rolls because of the death of the arcades, etc., of yeah. the shooter, and so we had companies you know that came out of tall plan you know, like cave aiding and stuff like that, you know, develop shooters and develop their own style of shooters. And then there was Treasure, um, which um, had not developed a shooter before, before Radiant Silver Gun. And they just kind of went a very different route. They just went a completely different route from everyone else. And unfortunately, that route was kind of a dead end because no one else kind of followed it up. And it was only followed up with, you know, Treasure's Ikaruga. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually all games became kind of cave, you know, inspired essentially and and that's really unfortunate because i would have liked to have seen a future where all shoot 'em ups were inspired by radiant silver gun instead of cave <laughs> um so i don't know if you agree with that but i i feel like it was one of the last games to really represent an evolution of the shoot 'em up genre you know that just did not pan out you know as you know an influence on other shooters i i couldn't agree more and you know not to be that guy but i think it might be a matter of talent You know, the fact of the matter is, no matter what genre they tackled, Treasure just managed to do things in an innovative way, no matter what. And other developers just don't, right? Like, it, it, it's sad to say, but, and I know it's kind of, you know, not being a game developer myself, maybe mm-hmm. that's a little bit mean to say, but, it, you know, the evidence is there. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, you know, it's like saying, you know, we can compare, I don't know, Bob Dylan to, I don't know, Lil Nas X or, um, or Garth Brooks or something. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're both talented in their own way, but one is clearly superior to the other. Um, and Treasure was, you know, one of the most talented outfits, you know, to ever be put together. And that's why I don't think we can ever recapture a company like that. But, you know, we can leave that for a future Treasure episode, which... It's definitely coming. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, I've only been meaning to do it since we started. This is the most teased uh, episode we've ever had. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but no, I, I agree with you, Paul. But it's it's not a knock on, on a developer like Cave yeah. or any of the other competitors. I mean, it's just that, you know, you're competing with the absolute best. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because Radiant Silvergun just started as a side project, you know, for one of the developers at Trusters. And they were just like, you know what? Let's just let's just make that into a full game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you can so, be Kobe and still be amazing, but you're not Michael Jordan. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, you uh, know what? That's yeah. a very good analogy. <laughs> let's let's just not speak ill of uh, you know the recently deceased. No. <laughs> so. He's great. He's the second best player ever to do it. <laughs> all right paul um that was radiant silver gun i know that there's a lot more that we can talk about and certainly we're going to talk about radiant silver gun in the future um but i think we're running low on time you know and so we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break and then we're gonna come back with arnie's picks Right, everybody and we're back and we're gonna talk with uh, our friend arnie uh, arnie what are the games that you really wanted to talk about and that you really wanted to push into uh the bracket but we're not able to um so first things first i thought of an even better analogy um nice like if cave is peyton manning right and treasures tom brady <laughs> like one they're both clearly very good one of them is obviously superior in every way Except that Treasure's not a dick, so I think that that analogy doesn't work. And Treasure knew when to quit. I, and, they were, exactly. and they were also always loyal to Sega. Just saying. They went, they went out on top. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sega is, Treasure is Rob Gronkowski and Sega is Tom Brady. They always, they this always is, This is them. keep alienating our international listeners. Uh, um, Arnie, what is, your, what is your first pick? Um, My first pick that I want to talk about was 1080 Snowboarding. 1080 Snowboarding was... Oh, Nice. Oh yeah. I I we had a lot of discussion about, you know, the last few games that were going to make it. I think Spyro was definitely one of them, Grim Fandango was another. Um and ultimately I, I like the bracket that we ended up with, but I think if I was going to replace a game for with something, it'd probably be 1080 because I like the idea of having a sports game in the mix and I'm kind of sad that we did not end up having one. Uh good point. Good point. I wish yeah, I had thought of that yeah. before too. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I, to be fair, I mean, I think that sports games definitely have their place, but, yeah. you know, quality is quality. And I would definitely think that some of the, I mean, the games that we pick, I would pick them all, you know, over 1080. Yeah. I don't think we needed to have like token games, you know, just to represent a particular genre, yeah. you know, if there were just superior games in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but 1080, honestly, is one that I just remember having a ton of fun with. And specifically, I wanted to talk about it because... I had this, like, uh, like this show has done on multiple occasions. It's just, like, activated synapses in my brain that were not working before. So I had this, like, very vivid memory um, when I was living back in Puerto Rico. And I would go to my dentist when I was a kid. And he had two N64 kiosks in his, like, waiting room. What the fuck? Yeah, they were, like, these little tiny... I don't know if they were custom or what, but they were, like these N64 things that he would put behind um, this locked like area that had like a TV over it. And so one of them was 1080 and the other one was Donkey Kong 64. And I remember every time I would go there, just like 
standing in front of the 1080 kiosk forever and just playing it over and over and over again. Man. Oh my god, this is hilarious. Oh my god, mom, my tooth yeah. is hurting again. I would have like, the best teeth ever. <laughs> I was the only doctor that I was like, please just take as long as you want. I need to. I don't need to be back. I, I need to stay here as long as possible. Um, that, that reminds me, Arnie, of uh, you remember how at McDonald's yes. there used to be Nintendo 64s, yes. you know, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and they usually had like Pokemon, you know, games or, mm-hmm. or something like that, like Pokemon Ooh. Stadium and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wonder what those like, you know, cabinets go for nowadays, like those, uh, you know, kind of setups. Yeah, those, but I, I think I've seen people like buy them because they were very, like the McDonald's ones were even cooler because they were always like, colored in different bright colors and had like special designs on them and stuff um exactly but i remember i i don't know there was just something about like playing games on a kiosk back then like now i never do it even when i go to gamestop there's like nintendo switches and stuff or at like um walmart and i never play any of them but back then i was like if i saw a kiosk i was like i have to stop oh absolutely play oh, for sure like five minutes yeah. um but yeah, 1080 was one that I that I really enjoyed. It, I don't know. It I think it set sort of set the stage for my eventual love of games like Tony Hawk. Um, it was just the first game that I remember in that extreme sports genre that really caught me. And again, I lived on a tropical island. I had not seen snow up to that point. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. snowboarding was like for aliens. Like, I did. Well, not I think understand. that was part of the appeal of it. No, I mean, I, I feel like. If, you know, I, I was in Miami and I feel mm. like almost everybody I knew that had a Nintendo 64 had 1080 snowboarding. I mean, yeah. it's just that that's the game. One of the games that everyone had together with like Wave Race. Um, and, you know, for me, it was very appealing to play a snowboarding game because I had never seen snow. It was so magical. <laughs> and this thing that falls from the skies and makes everything awesome. Oh, dude, please uh, come shovel my driveway. It'll it. fill you with you'll wonder. I, I have lived in the north long enough to say <laughs> no. Hell. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 1080 was one that I, that basically immediately after we started, I was like, man, should we have, should we not have? But ultimately, Ozzy is right. Like the games that we picked were better than 1080. Well, let, let me just kind of say a, a you know story about 1080. I, I actually picked up, uh, as you guys know, a bunch of old gaming magazines and I picked one up. A uh, game pro from 1998, March of 1998, and this was just like a month before 1080 snowboarding would be released in North America, which was April 1, 1998. And uh, there was an interview with Shigeru Miyamoto, and uh, you know they were asking him, you know, what's uh, what's like the release date like? I mean, are we gonna see uh, you know Ocarina of Time anytime soon? And Miyamoto was like, no, it's not time. <laughs> um, and then he said, well, you know, we really want to get 1080 snowboarding out because we want to. You know, we want to get it out before this the snow season is, is done, you know, before the, the, the snowboarding season is done. And, you know, and I started doing 1080 because I like skiing. So I thought skiing would be fun, you know. So <laughs> it's just funny how Miyamoto's like, oh, I like doing this thing. I'm going to put people to work doing the things that I like. Yeah. Um, Especially over was, Zelda. Yeah. Like, guys, yeah. relax with this yeah. Zelda thing. It's not going to sell. 1080. <laughs> Well, that's exactly how I felt. I mean, I, I saw this guy talking about it, and it was like, eh, Zelda will come out eventually. <laughs> Good for him. Um, you know, it's like, but you know what? I really want to get here. this game out. I want to get this game out before the snowboarding yeah. season is over. In April, because, man. I mean, that's In the way April. to do it. 
so, it, so it was just funny to see like Nintendo's reasoning, and again, it, it just adds further support to <laughs> my idea that Shigeru Miyamoto is a dictator, <laughs> and he's you know really not good for Nintendo. So. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> but the other thing about 1082 is I did wanna I did wanna say for for our listeners because this is a running thing now where we all hate the N64 and like this is an N64 <laughs> game I enjoy. I'm, I'm not saying anything. I don't want to piss off Strilly. This, is, this I, is one I like. No. Um, but it was produced by our boy uh, Miyamoto-san. Um, and it came out on April Fool's Day, which I also thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a green of time is coming out. Fooled ya. Yeah, exactly. Here's a snowboarding game. Here's Still sold like two million copies. It, People were like, I guess. Like, what, you know, sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I mean, and that was like a pretty big attach rate, I would yeah. think, you know, with the Nintendo 64, you know, like 2 million. That's that's pretty significant for back in the day. But, you know, what I remember about 1080 is just that it was it was very easy to pick up. You know, I feel like some of the snowboarding games, particularly the ones that came out later, you know, they were a little bit more inaccessible. Yeah. 1080 felt like a game that even, you know, a, a kid, you know, could jump into it and just kind of have fun just going downhill. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that that's kind of the appeal of it. It's just that pick up on play nature, which mm. I think it's something that Nintendo does best. And and to be fair, I think that's something that, that Miyamoto, you know, is very, very savvy at. He's very savvy at making a game accessible for all ages. And I think that's kind of his brilliance yeah um i completely agree i mean that's all i remember about it is just playing it constantly and i don't i i can't tell you if i was doing good or i was doing bad but i was having fun with it like it was one of those that it's just pure enjoyment from start to finish yeah, and not that many games, not that many sports games developed by Nintendo itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a few on the 64, like I said, Wave Race, uh, but it, it's just one of those, you know, Nintendo does sports and, you know, you can <laughs> kind of see their touch on a particular genre that tends to be very formulaic. Yeah. Um, and you get to see those Nintendo, you know, flares, you know, and flourishes. Yeah. This is a, a question I had, and and I don't know if we should do this for the end or something like that, but I am also curious to get your guys' opinion. Like, if we had put a Radiant Silver Gun or a 1080 in there, like, how, how well do you think that that would have done as opposed to, like, another game? I think 1080 could have made round of eight and then fallen off, depending on yeah, what Yeah, I, I completely disagree. I, I, I completely disagree. But that, <laughs> yeah, would, that would kind of be where it ends. Like, if it went up against yeah, Grim Fandango, forget it. Grim Fandango would have just destroyed it. <laughs> it's a juggernaut. Juggernaut. Absolute juggernaut. Uh, yeah, I mean, it all depends on, you know, the particular game. But I would say it would have definitely been an underdog in the round of 16. You know, again, like Spyro. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that it would have gone very far. Something like Radiant Silver Gun. I think that's a I could definitely see. I could definitely even see going into the semis, honestly. Oh, yeah. I think... It, there's an argument to be made that it is one of the, one of, if not perhaps, the best shoot 'em up ever made. Uh, I, I agree see with Paul that. shaking his head. Yeah. Huh? I agree with that. Like I would say it's the best shoot 'em up ever made. I mean, obviously that's subjective, but you know, boy oh boy, the the games we have in the semifinals though. <laughs> yeah, no. And to be and to be fair, I mean, I I think that we probably missed Radiant Silver Gun when we were originally creating this, and you know, it was probably because of that, because of the Japanese release date. Um, and the lack of release on North America, but I definitely think that Radiant Silver Gun would have gone the distance. I think, I, I think I, Radiant I, Silver Gun has a similar path to Panzer Dragoon Saga. 
Yes. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah something yeah. like it's that. It's probably the most close parallel. Yeah. Uh, but before we uh, digress too much, Arnie, what's your second game that you want to talk about? Um, so my second game, like Paul's, and I'm glad Paul went first, is also cheating. Um, it's Marvel. It's not cheating. It's a loophole. <laughs> Loopholes are not cheating. It's uh, Marvel versus Capcom uh, Clash of Superheroes, I believe is the subtitle that I've never used. Um but that one had an arcade release in 98 and then a Dreamcast release in 99 and a PlayStation release in 2000. Um, so we didn't do it. I think that was one we did talk about, but we decided to not do it because it was arcade and that would have opened up a whole can of worms um, yeah. for other games that we may have wanted to include. I think Soul Calibur was another one that had an arcade release in 98. Um, but yeah, Marvel vs. Capcom is another one. Like Just for me... A lot of personal attachment to that game. I I think I've talked about this before. I know I did on the uh, Region Free Radio episode I did with Marvel vs. Capcom in it. Um, that I specifically remember. That was a game I never owned. But every time I would come to my grandparents' house for the summer... I would bring my PlayStation and I would the first day I got here, I would go to Blockbuster and I would rent it and I would keep renting it until it was time to go home. And then I'd do it all over again every year. So Marvel vs. Capcom was like one that I have a ton of very fond memories of playing for hours um, by myself because I had no friends um, as per usual. (laughs) Um, But but no, I loved everything about it, like everything from the soundtrack, the character designs, the mechanics of battle. Like I had never played a fighting game like that up to that point. And it really sort of turned me around on it because I was not a huge like when I went to the arcade, I would play Street Fighter. I would play Mortal Kombat with my friends. But that's where fighting games were to me. Like fighting games are arcade games like that's where they belong. I don't really I'm not really interested in playing them at home. And then when I played Marvel vs. Capcom, I was like, this is something that I want to play all the time. Yeah. And if I might add, you know, just because the arcade release was 98, let me tell you, it was huge in the arcades. Because I remember when X-Men vs. Street Fighter came out, it was gigantic. Mm -hmm. Like the lineups for the machines were absolutely bonkers. But then the sequel, Marvel Super Heroes vs. Street Fighter, eh kind of more of the same you know it didn't have quite the same impact marvel versus capcom on the other hand though (laughs) once you open it up and you include mega man and you include captain commando and strider like it just explodes the possibilities and it really kind of you know rebirthed that kind of fighting game subgenre at Mm -hmm. least from what i saw again you know, this is all anecdotal, right? I don't know how many quarters were put into all these machines. I don't have that data. I could probably find it if I really looked hard, but, yeah. you know, we're just a little podcast. <laughs> so I can just tell you anecdotally, it was a very big deal in the arcade. But let me ask you something, Arnie. I mean, are, are you, you know, thinking about the original game or are the memories of the sequel kind of seeping into, you know, the first game and you're just kind of conflating the two? Because one of the things that I, you know, com- compared to the second game, mm. the roster of characters is much smaller in the first Marvel vs. Capcom. Yeah. It's only about 15 characters. Yeah. 
Whereas the sequel just completely blew that up. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, is there an element here of conflating those two? Or do you actually remember the first one being that one that you're, you know, so uh, passionate about? I mean, I, I would not rule out the possibility that I am sort of tinging memories of the first with the second. But I... Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, Arnie. I, I can totally rule it out. Because <laughs> Marvel vs. Capcom 2 wasn't even available on the PlayStation. Yeah, so it was. It was a PlayStation. You had to have been game. playing the first one. Yeah. Oh, so so if if you were playing the PlayStation version, I mean, because that one didn't even include tag team battles. Yeah, I know. So but it was like Marvel vs. Capcom, not Marvel vs. Capcom. Yeah. So, but that's the one. That's the one I fell in love with. Like I, I have, know. I have terrible opinions, and this is just another one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. But if I, it's all you've got, and you're and you're fighting as Mega Man, and you're fighting as Spider Man, and so like, on, like, and and if you don't know any better, it's still an amazing game. Yeah, I uh, Arnie <laughs> don't know any better. That's the best way to summarize. I, <laughs> it's weird because Marvel versus Capcom one and two are like very distinctly separate in my mind because I never owned Marvel versus Capcom two on console. That is one I exclusively played in arcades. I think I may have that, played that it at fair. friends' houses, like if they had it on their Xbox or something like that. Like I may have played it there. But console wise, Marvel vs. Capcom one on the PlayStation was the one that I remember constantly putting time into and having to restart over and over again because I did not have a save for it. I think either I didn't have a memory card or I just never like saved it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that's that's very fair, and, and thank you, Paul, for pointing that out. I mean, I that was a very nice technicality to uh, put out there. I mean. Well, I mean, he's only twenty eight. He's not senile yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's really fun, and, and you know we can definitely say that Marvel vs. Capcom, you know, really started up a whole set of like sub fighting games genre. You know, that whole fast paced aerial, you know, tag team based, you know, genre. I mean, you had King of Fighters before, but King of Fighters was much more methodical, mm -hmm. um, and it didn't have that jump in and out, you know, element yeah. of Marvel vs. Capcom. So um, it definitely was an absolutely groundbreaking game from 1998. And, and to be fair, I mean arcades are just as worthy as the consoles yeah. um you know i but do you think that it deserves a spot you know um if if it hadn't been for kind of rules but i think that you know our rules are very flexible i mean um, as we have said in the past i definitely put it over tekken 3 personally as far as fighting games that i enjoy but that that might not be a popular opinion <laughs> no i i agree with you i'd put it over tekken 3 as well based on quality yeah but it's really hard to measure the reach. Yeah. You know, that that's yeah. that's the real thing. And plus, like a game like Marvel versus Capcom that's ported over to console, it's ported over the next year. So you're going to have a very large segment of people who remember it mainly from the console release, mm -hmm. much like yourself. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's kind of yeah, which was kind of butchered. Yeah. Um, Nonetheless, the PlayStation <laughs> just couldn't handle those 2D games, unfortunately. Um, oh, no, it know, was like, it was not a good port. You know, but yeah. it didn't really have to be for for what it was trying to accomplish. So yeah. you know, well, and there's the element, there's the element here of you know Tekken Three being a 3D game mm -hmm. and you know kind of having that allure of this is the hot yeah. new thing, yeah. whereas 2D you know fighting games were kind of yesterday's yeah. news. Yeah. Um. So you know, I don't agree with that, but definitely I could see how that seeps into your evaluation of the two games itself. Mm -hmm. And and again, I just cannot separate. 
um, the console ports from the first Marvel vs. Capcom, um, and the fact that the sequel was just so much better oh, you know, yeah. in every way because it just added so much more stuff. Um, but I think that the first one was still a very, very worthwhile game, and um, you know it probably deserved the spot. Um, and it's it's good to hear Arnie that you would have dropped Tekken three from it, you know, in order to put it in there. Yeah. So um, or Spyro I mean, or I, honestly even Grim Fandango. Wow. Like I love Marvel versus Grim Fandango. Oh, whatever, <laughs> Judas. What? <laughs> so that means that you would have just dropped out Starcraft over it as well. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I love I love Marvel versus Capcom. Like the the first the second one is superior to the first in every way but the first like hold a, a special place in my heart see this is why we always hold our breath whenever we let arnie pick anything um <laughs> because we just don't know what's going to happen <laughs> um but in any event uh thanks arnie um uh, anything else you want to give us a parting uh supporting statement on on your games and uh, the honorable mention i mean uh, honestly i think we're gonna do a little bit of this at the end but I, I think people really just need to like look at a list of games from 1998 and and understand and see how hard this was our conflict <laughs> like we're gonna yeah. talk about like what eight eight games here and there's still probably another eight that we could have talked about um, exactly like yeah it's, yeah it's just crazy I'm glad that it that it's gone over as well as it has considering that I think a lot of people would justifiably be upset at some exclusions um but I don't know, man. It's it was a hell of a year. Like, yeah, it's a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> Vintage year. Vintage year. Um, all right. With that, uh, let's take a, another quick break, and we'll come back with Anthony's pick. Right, everybody, and we find our way back home. Um, Anthony, uh, you're out there in the Bronx. Uh, tell us, what would you have picked? Uh, you actually weren't involved in the original discussion, so you didn't really get to have a say in which titles actually ended up uh, making uh, the round of 16. So uh, let's just call this the before <laughs> Anthony, you know, period. Uh, yeah. so BA. So, Anthony, uh, what games uh, do you want to talk about? Uh, g- give us your first choice. Well, it's funny because the, the two games I'm picking are for the, the Rare 64. And, <laughs> My 64 um, love on this. And, and nice I, know, dig. I know my first choice wouldn't have been picked. I, I, I wouldn't even have picked it, but I think it deserves to be mentioned as a 98 release, and that's NFL Blitz. Um, yes. Yep. Especially on the Nintendo The game 64. we have talked about before. That's the one yeah. I was waiting for. That's the one I wanted to play. Um, and it's funny because well on the Nintendo 64 but also on the arcades I mean you can't understate the importance of NFL well that was the whole thing you know just much like NBA Jam before it this was the the arcade uh, non-sim based game version of something that most people wouldn't have played normally but could jump right in and play this and even looking back on it now it's a game that would never be made right now they would never make <laughs> no, this game right now. No, no. You, at least you wouldn't have licensed teams. You know, yeah. t- like it, it would have been the same way that the later Blitz games were. You know, they would just have to make up their own teams. Yeah, because it's it's just too brutal. I know. 
and particularly now with traumatic brain injuries, it's like oh, no, yeah, we don't yeah. want to promote. This game is it's terrible. Like your luck. player is about to become suicidal because of all the concussions. Oh, man. <laughs> so. This this could have just been like what the XFL, the first XFL, was supposed to be, was yeah. based yes. on NFL Blitz. <laughs> R.I.P. <But>, XFL. <laughs> poor XFL. Every 19 years, it comes back and dies. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But no, but it was it was. Um, so what what makes this game stand out for you? I mean, what uh, what in your mind makes you want to shout about this game as one of the highlights of '98? Because for me, and I've I've said this before, I used to play a lot of sports games growing up. So, but not all my friends were into sports like I was, or could play sports mm-hmm. games like this. You know, they couldn't, they just couldn't get into it. This was a game that I had no problem having guys come over and just like jump right in. Yeah. And that just made it so much more fun to me because it just gave me something to actually play multi local multiplayer with someone. And yeah. it was just the simplicity of it. You know, um, I used to, uh, before this, I guess Tecmo Bowl was my game back in the 8-bit yeah. era. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this was like Tecmo Bowl on steroids, but just in the the evolution almost of what Tecmo Bowl would be. Um, yeah. And it just made it, it was just so simple to play, man. It was just so much fun. It was just uh, the play selections, everything. Like I had like my, my one of my best friends, Mark, he, he didn't know shit about football, but <laughs> you know, he came over and we used to get down with some NFL blitz and the motherfucker used to beat me, you know? So, which, you know, like when you're really good at a, at a, at a sports game, especially uh, you, nobody wants to play, but when they beat you, you almost feel like, okay, cool. There's some competition here, you know? Yeah. You know, much like Jordan and Pippen back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So that's what made it so much fun to me. And I remember this was like a really, I don't, this is like a deep, this might be a deep cut for some people, but the arcade cabinets used to have this, um, this, this almost a memory card slot on the, on the side of the unit that you could mm-hmm. bring your yep. Nintendo 64 plays or whatever. Oh. And you could do a season, yeah, right? You or? Could pop it right into the arcade cabinet. Wow. And I didn't know that. I remember because I remember picking up because, you know, like everything used to come out for all the different format, you know, all the different consoles. I remember like, oh, I'm going to get the Nintendo 64 version because I want that option, which I never used. Yeah. I never like who who does that <laughs> shit? No one does that. Sure. Yeah. But still, you just wanted that option, you know? And the N64 version has that cool thing where if you throw the ball more than 30 yards, it just like vanishes into the fog. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you got to play the run and gun, run and gun, baby. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it had the, the special fog effects. Yeah. It's, it's what you say, Anthony, because like games like Blitz are fun for me personally, because people, people shit on sports games a lot for being boring or just being copy pasted or whatever. But sports games are some of the games that have the highest barrier to entry i don't know if that's just me like Mm. i can do like a hundred hour rpg with like the most complicated battle systems you could possibly imagine and then i pop in madden and i'm like i have i have no clue lost i I don't know what's happening right yeah (laughs) but something like blitz sort of cuts through the noise and it's just like here's the thing do it have fun and it's like dumb simple and i love that yeah i'm like oh i can finally i'm finally understanding like why people enjoy this stuff yeah that's that's you know they they did a midway did a great job of taking that nba jam formula and just making it nfl i mean i yeah nfl definitely wasn't gonna be as popular as what nba jam did nba jam was just like its own animal (laughs) but still this was like a great way to just 
play sports games if you if you weren't a sports fan. And I think a lot of people that played, probably most of the people that played NFL Blitz were weren't even NFL fans. It was yeah. just a good party game. Yeah, and and the and also the the other good part about it, and it's something that it's very good about the Nintendo sixty four. Hey, we say nice things about the sixty four <laughs> as well. Um, it's that you had the four controller ports. Yes, and so yeah. it, it made for the perfect kind of party platform. And NFL Blitz was just one of those games mm-hmm. that lent themselves very well to that, and particularly with the fact that NBA Jam just you know was not as popular on the 64 i mean this was the game that was you know your go-to pick up and play sports games with friends right that's that's actually a really good point because i had nba hang time on the nintendo 64 which i had a great time playing and everything but nfl blitz on the nintendo 64 was a game everybody was like talking about this was something that you know everyone had to play on the nintendo 64 yeah, exactly. I, um, all right, so well. Oh no, go, I just go ahead, Arnie. To, uh, I just wanted to say something really quick about that too. Is like I just remember because NBA Live '99 was a game that my dad got me when he got my, our Nintendo 64, and we used to play it all the time. And he would just whoop the shit out of me <laughs> until one day, until because I didn't know the rules of basketball. Like I was goaltending like a motherfucker. I was like running out of bounds until one day I realized I can turn off all the rules. And then immediately he was like, what is happening? And I was like, haha, I got you now. <laughs> You're a monster. I always preferred like the arcadey, like the less rules, the better. So I don't have to like actually strategize. <laughs> yeah. So um, with that, uh, let us know what is your second game, Anthony? So my second game is a game that I think, I think you could argue that it could have been in that. It could have been in the, the final count of the games we battled with, but uh, Rogue Squadron. For the yes. Nintendo 64. And so that's Star yes, Wars. Yes. And so you still have your streak of talking about Star Wars in every I episode. I don't know nice. what happens, man. <laughs> it, keep, it, just, it just takes over. <laughs> but yeah, so, so what makes you, uh, you know, think that this game deserves this part? I mean, I'm not disagreeing, I'm just asking. Um, why do you think this game should be uh, discussed? It, well, you know, like, so we've been, we've been inundated with Star Wars, like, it, it's all over now. But back in 98, that wasn't the case. Like, we had Return of the Jedi, and we had no new Star Wars stuff at all. It was... Starving. Yeah, and it was Shadows of the Empire and Sound 64, which that Hoth level, I think, just really got people thirsty for what Star Wars Rogue Squadron would be. Um, yes. So, we, yeah, like I said, we had no Star Wars stuff. And so, this was basically, like, the closest you could get to a Star Wars movie. And especially if you weren't a PC gamer. Because the PC gamers were getting all the good Star Wars space combat stuff. Oh, yeah. This was the first one where if you had a, con- a regular, just basic-ass console, you were able to play a Star Wars game. And I don't know, man. It was just... This game just was so good, man. It was just the the, the, the dog fights. The being able to, you know, try out these different ships and all controlling differently in the Star Wars universe. It was just, it was crazy. And I remember I picked this game up when I had the flu. I had the, actually, I picked this game up and I got the flu like a few days later. So I was kind of home all week just playing Rogue Squadron. And it was just, it was the best time of my life, man. (laughs) (laughs) One of the best things in those like in those kind of Star Wars games really is the ability for different vehicles. Cause like, look, the X-Wing is like the greatest spaceship design ever, right? Yeah. you know, 
some people will say the Millennium Falcon, and that's cool. It's okay to be wrong, but <laughs> the X-Wing is, is the coolest thing. But, like, in these Star Wars games where you fly different ships around, the ability to, like, fly, you know, and I can't remember if this was available in Rogue Squadron, so don't quote me, but, like, in X-Wing and TIE Fighter, for example, on the PC, like the Y-Wing, the A-Wing, all these different ships, mm-hmm. yep. all this stuff that you just never kind of would have thought of, and they all have different you know, different kind of handling and they're all very well thought out and they just add so much more to that Star Wars universe that we love. Right. And it was, it yeah. was, um, cause all the, every, every, you know, you had separate missions. So you had to use any sh- particular ship as per the mission. So it wasn't like you were just flying around with an X-Wing all the time, but yeah, but the X-Wing, of course, the X-Wing was the guy that the one you wanted to go into dog fights with. <laughs> and up until this point, I had like played Star Wars Arcade on a 32X. Mm. I played Rebel Assault on a Sega CD. Right? This is this was <laughs> this is what I was getting. <laughs> this is what I was getting. And then my, my one of my best friends, he he had all the Star Wars games on his PC, but I didn't have a PC and I didn't have the time to install all 35 of those discs to play like the first level. <laughs> so this was it for me. This was finally where I felt like, oh, this is so cool. This is. Now I'm finally here. I'm finally at the top thinking, oh, this is PC level. Yes. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. And no, and, and, and there's also another element to this, Anthony, and that's that, you know, as opposed to X-Wing or X-Wing Alliance or uh, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, I mean, all those games had a pretty high barrier of entry, mm-hmm. not only because you need a PC, but because they were complex games, you know, with actual, you know, like in-depth physics and, you know, they were more of a simulation mm-hmm. um, as much as you can call that about a fantasy, you know, space game um, than, you know, just a pick up and play arcade experience. Right. And so with something like, uh, you know, X-Wing, you needed a, a Hota, you know, a, a, you know, the the thrust, you know, the joystick, yeah. essentially, you know, to kind of get the full experience out of it. It wasn't a game that you could play with a pad, um, and it certainly wasn't a game that you could play with a keyboard. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could try, but... I, I did. Think- it was it was like a workout, man. <laughs> like, you know, the keyboard wasn't so bad. It was the mouse, because you're constantly, like, it's almost like you're scraping at a wall. You're just, like, constantly <laughs> yeah. moving the mouse from, you know, top to bottom or bottom to top yeah. in order to get your ship to to move around it was uh definitely a game where you prefer to have a joystick yeah. anyway i think if you roll <laughs> credits on uh x-wing with a mouse and keyboard you just get a pilot's license like at the end of it <laughs> <laughs> you're like certified well, and, and, and there's also you know the fact that the 64 controller lent itself very well to a game like yep. rogue squadron yeah. uh because it had that built-in analog mm-hmm. And so you could kind of take advantage of, you know, the 360 degrees of motion, you know, with that controller. And look at all the nice things we're saying about the 64. Right? Uh, um, so, so I think that it was kind of the perfect segue into introducing dogfights and, and space battles, you know, for a, a different generation that was not weaned on the PCs. And so from, from this, we saw Battle for Naboo. We saw the Rogue Squadron sequels, yep. and we also saw games like Starfighter Starfighter. and Jedi Starfighter mm-hmm. on the PS2 and the Xbox. So, um, yeah, Rogue Squadron was certainly influential. I guess a question from me to you, Anthony. Uh, did you follow up with the later Rogue Squadron games and, and Battle for Naboo on the 64? I played a little bit of Battle for Naboo. Um, not that much, though. I mean, I, it just was, it didn't have that same feel for me as this one. This one just kind of like... The, this one just took up all my time. Battle for Naboo, I didn't really spend too much time playing. 
Um, but talk about the, the, the GameCube. Yeah, I got the sequels for the GameCube. And those things have... Dude, roll. Still, still an impressive they graphical still showcase. Still <laughs> meter is yeah. still impressive. Yeah. It might be my favorite. It might be my favorite GameCube game, honestly. Oh, Rogue wow. Leader. Like, the GameCube, you know, it's got a good library, but god damn, yeah. man. Rogue Leader is so good. <laughs> hey. And you know what those games did well as well? I mean, it was the set pieces. Yeah. Those games yes. managed to capture the set pieces of Star Wars just very well. And it made you feel like you were part mm-hmm. of the Rogue Squadron. Yeah. You know, like you were Luke Skywalker or Wedge, you know, or whatever, you know, in there. So um, so I, I think that, you know, for a generation of gamers, this was their experience with kind of inhabiting Star mm-hmm. Wars. Yeah. Um, and, and for the time when we were kind of starved and still waiting for episode one, oh, you know, this game kind of scratched that itch. Um, and I guess that's my next question, Anthony. I mean, did this game make you more excited about episode one? Probably. <laughs> it probably did. I thought. So maybe that's a knock against it. So <laughs> No, it's, a, it's, a, I, um... it's impressive looking back. I thought, oh man, George Lucas could do no wrong. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> I, um, well, first I want to say to Paul, I'm more of a Slave One man myself, like Boba Fett ship. I think that was the best. Hell yeah. Uh, but uh, I remember my dad during this time used to work for Frito-Lay. Um, so whenever I would go. How did we not know this? Yeah, he, he worked for Frito-Lay for years. Like I would get, I remember all the things that used to come in like the bags of chips and stuff. He would just give me like stacks of them. Like I remember in Puerto God Rico, they did, damn. they did these like pog sort of things that people just collected and loved in school. They were called Tazos. I don't know if you guys even know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> Um, sounds vaguely familiar. But uh, yeah, I had like stacks of these things that I just bring to school. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ, dude. My dad worked at a factory that made bricks. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul would get bricks all the time. He's like, oh, but, uh, thank you, dad. This brick is awesome. Who needs Lego? Here you go. <laughs> but I specifically remember during this time, like the Star Wars marketing was insane yeah. like i would walk into his office and you'd see like these all these episode one standees of like saboba or something and like all these like marketing gimmicks they were getting ready because it was also like pepsi owned like frito-lay and pepsi were like i don't know if they're if they're shared by the same company or whatever but they're very closely tied so i would mm-hmm. get to see all the proposed promotional materials they were getting ready for like some of this stuff and it was I mean, that's why I was hyped, because I was like, oh, my God, everybody's like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, any any parting shots, Anthony? No. Nah, I mean, I, th- I think this was a great game. Factor 5 did a great job with these games, man. And yeah. um, it was definitely, I put it up there, man. It was definitely probably one of my, the top games of 98 for me. I mean, I just had so much fun. Do you think it would have made it past the past the round of sixteen? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think Ocarina of Time. Seriously, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. you're right. You're right. So, so if you had to, if you had to put this game in and substitute another game, which one would it have been? Um, just because I want to add. Yeah, fire. yeah. You want to add some real fire? <laughs> Throw some fire in here. No. Um, I think uh, just say Xeno Gears. It's fine. We all uh, understand. Oh, you know what? I forgot all about it. Yeah, easily <laughs> Xeno Gears. That's all the answer we need. <laughs> he forgot all about it. <laughs> and with that, we're gonna take another break, and I'm gonna come back with my games, um, which 
shouldn't take too much time because I've already talked about them quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back. And uh, we're now in the home stretch, and uh, there's only me left uh, because Jeff didn't make it. Um, and actually, before we get into it, um, let's just talk about Jeff. Let's oh, yeah. talk about what Jeff would have picked um, since, you know, he's not here, but we definitely want to make his presence felt. So, you know, Jeff, of course, being over in Europe, you know, he has different tastes. You know, he drinks tea, not coffee, you know, all that jazz, <laughs> you know, all those cliches. Um, and so... He decided to uh, pick two games as honorable mentions, uh, as we all did, and one of them was Street Fighter Alpha 3. So this is another one of those loophole games where it came out in the arcade in 1998. Um, you know, so even in North America, it came out in 1998. And and can we all agree that Street Fighter Alpha 3 is the best Street Fighter game of all time? Ooh. No, we can't. <laughs> Damn it! I really thought I had you there. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Great. And I would say it's the pinnacle of the Alpha series. Um, but as as far as Street Fighter games go, there are there are so many and they're all so good for different reasons. Mm-hmm. It's I, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't say personally that Alpha 3 is the best one. All right. Yeah, I, I know you're really big on the EX games. So, right. Alpha, you know, 3 you. <laughs> well, Alpha 3 Arcade versus yeah. Marvel versus Capcom Arcade. Go. I would take Alpha Three over Marvel vs. Oh. Capcom Arcade, but yeah, as far I... as like impact in the moment, the Marvel vs. Capcom machine way more people oh, playing yeah. it than yeah. Alpha Three. Yeah, yeah, and and it's just you know people were starved at the time for a new Street Fighter, you know that was a follow up to Street Fighter Two, and so I think at the time Street Fighter Three was still in development. Yeah, um, and so Street Fighter Alpha Three kind of really filled that void and. If it wasn't because people were eagerly waiting for Street Fighter 3, I think this game would have been immediately recognized. If, if they had labeled this game Street Fighter 3, I think people would have been like, yep, this is great. This is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the perfect follow-up. Yeah, but Capcom, um, Capcom but, dug their own hole with the naming conventions as far back as Street Fighter 2. Yes. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's all yeah. That. because the Alpha series, the Alpha series just kind of steadily kept improving. Yeah. You know, they had a very good foundation with the first Alpha game. The second Alpha game was very good. And then Alpha 3 just blew it up, you know, particularly with the isms, you know, that different playstyle yes. that you could pick and choose, you know, yeah. and the, just the massive roster of characters. They just kept adding characters and more characters with this iteration. And so I think that, you know, this game really deserved a spot in the top tier of uh, of Street Fighter games. I think it's definitely top three, I would say, in terms of Street Fighter. Um, but, you know, the fact that Street Fighter 3 was just around the corner made people kind of think, okay, well, this is not the real follow-up. Yeah. Um, but if it had been, I don't think many people would have complained. And Alpha 3, was that the one that also got, like, a really good GBA port? 
Or was that a different I think so, one? yes. No, no, okay. no, no. It was it was Alpha 3. Yeah, it was Alpha 3. Um, so, yeah, Street Fighter Alpha 3, great game. Mm-hmm. Came out on the arcades. Another quarter muncher. A ton of people played this game. Yep. It also introduced us to Armika. Uh, we all love Armika <laughs> um, and her ridiculous design. Um, so, keep it coming, Capcom. We want more Armika. Uh, waifu for life. Um, <laughs> Anyways, and so the other game that um, that Jeff wanted to mention was Tenshu, Stealth Assassins. Yes. And uh, you know what? 98 was the birth of the stealth game. Uh, 98 was really a seminal year for stealth games. So mm-hmm. we already talked about Metal Gear Solid. Yep. We already talked about Thief. Yep. Um, and then there was the other stealth game, and that was Tenshu. And I think Tenshu is definitely like the B, you know, level of stealth games. I, I don't think it's quite up there at the AAA level. Mm-hmm. But it did so many things that eventually ended up becoming influential in the stealth genre. Um, and it kind of did that parallel to Metal Gear Solid, um, which is impressive in its own right. And yeah. so it didn't have the production quality of Metal Gear Solid. It certainly didn't have the polish of Metal Gear Solid. But it, it offered a different brand of stealth, one that was more unforgiven and one that was more in line with being a ninja. You know, Metal Gear Solid... You know, stealth was definitely huge, but it, there was more of an emphasis on the action component of it. You know, of you running away and, you know, the, the countdown, you know, running down, you know, in order to cool down. Um, Tenshu was the type of game that if you fucked up, you know, it would have been very difficult to kind of get back into it. Uh, you know, a, a really punishing game. Um, so, Paul, you have any, any thoughts on Tenshu itself? You know, I don't really have very much in the way of detail. Um, there wasn't anything that I had time to look up. I can only tell you that I remember playing it and really, really liking it. It was it was an excellent game. And because it was kind of new, and, and it's like you said, it's a very different kind of stealth game than Metal Gear. Um, I just thought, you know, even the controls I thought were like, it, it's hard to it's hard to crap on Metal Gear for controls, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that it's very simple. It's an overhead view. But Tenshu is a little bit more complex, and I thought it controlled really well for a fairly early 3D game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the difficulties with that, I mean, and this is a difficulty with almost every PS1 game, was the camera. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the camera was just brutal to control. And I think that's really one of the components that makes Tenshu a much more difficult game. But with Tenshu, I would call it more of a simulation than the plot-driven action of Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. And, you know, personally, I favor Metal Gear Solid, but I think there's definitely a spot, you know, for a game like Tenshu you know, yeah. to coexist with that. All right. So I guess that only leaves me. And so the first game I want to talk about, I have talked about Anashim, and that's Parasite Eve. Yeah. Um, Man, I really fought for this game. I would have personally put, you know, this game over some of the ones that we picked. Yeah. Certainly over Spiral, certainly over Grim Fandango. Yeah. Um, maybe even over Tekken 3, honestly. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we decided that it was between this or Xenogears. Yep. And lest it be said that I did not go to bat for Xenogears, <laughs> I actually said Xenogears should earn the spot. Yes. So that, was- that meant that Parasite Eve... I think that was you know, ultimately was our last cold. cut was Parasite Eve. Parasite Eve was yeah. this close yeah. to making it. Yeah, so 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 literally this is number 17 in our yeah, 16 exactly. you know, <laughs> seed uh, tournament. Um, it, it really was the last cut. Um, that, that was the one that finalized the, the final match. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's, it's just one of those games that's very underappreciated. Still to this day, it's underappreciated because of how well it merged you know, plot, how well it merged survival horror 
with an RPG in the vein almost of Chrono Trigger um, because it had the same battle designer as Chrono Trigger. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about Parasite even a full episode. um, And so we don't need to go into detail about it again. But, you know, I think all of the elements of the game came very well together. The story was very, um, you know, very intriguing. Um, The relationship between Aya Brea and, and, and Eva... Uh, was very, you know, uh, interesting. And the music from Yoko Shimomura was absolutely blow your mind amazing. Yep. Um, the CG cutscenes that came in and out. And it was also a perfectly tight, you know, game. You could beat it in like eight to 10 hours yeah. and just have a really good experience with it. It wasn't like this super grindy RPG. And so for someone that's not really into RPGs, this is kind of like the perfect gateway drug. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was to recommend any RPGs, you know, as a starter, you know, this would probably be the game because it gives you just enough control, you know, so that you don't have the person asking, why can't I move the characters, you know, in the battles? Yeah. Um, you know, so you can actually control the character. You can position yourself. And that kind of positioning element is so, you know, liberating in a way. Yeah. Um, and it just has enough action flourishes that it allows you to you know kind of get the mechanics of what an rpg is like without playing a full-blown rpg and so um i i don't know i mean it's not let's not say that it's you know the best game the squaresoft ever made but it's definitely a very high quality game that i think is underappreciated to this day um and i think for sure if we had put it in there I think it would have probably made it to the round of eight yeah um depending on what it maybe would have gotten past it but depending upon what, you know, if it would have gone against Ocarina of Time, if it would have gone up against Metal Gear Solid, certainly it would not have, you know, yeah. gone for- forward. But maybe it would have had a shot against Tekken 3. Maybe it would have had a shot against, you know, uh, Pokemon. No way. One of the things about um, Parasite Eve that I guess I didn't appreciate until we really started doing the tournament um and and this coming from someone who played it for the first time last year is that it's surprisingly very playable um there's a there's quite a few games on this list that when we've been discussing them we've sort of been like it's a game that i really loved and you know thinking on it in the context of 1998 amazing thinking about it now maybe doesn't play as well as it used to but parasite eve is one of those that still plays very well Yes. Yeah, I absolutely. mean and, and and it's a it's a mix of many things. I mean, one of those is that it has aged very well graphically mm-hmm. because of the pre-rendered backgrounds. Yeah. And that has allowed it to kind of keep its its beautiful look. And the other thing is like I said, you know, the the mechanics are not so complex that you can, you know, that you would need a, a manual in order to learn them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's one of those games that has aged probably the best, you know, out of the 98 games you know it's certainly aged better than a game like thief than a game like Baldur's gate etc so even even half-life honestly yeah like you know it's it's aged better than that and if i might add excellent new game plus mode yeah in parasite oh, absolutely. like absolutely. it's almost a completely different game absolutely i mean you could keep playing it you know and it adds so much replay value and i yeah. i don't think many people realized that there was a new game plus in parasite eve mm-hmm. um but it, it adds like you know, hours upon hours of additional yeah. content. We'll always have um, the Chrysler so, building. Yeah. 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 So, um, amazing game. I really wish that I 
would have talked a little bit more about it. I don't know. Maybe at some point we'll do a dedicated Parasite Eve episode. I, I don't know if there's enough in those bones to kind of, you know, after we have discussed it so, so much yeah. to kind of go with a full episode. But, you know, it's definitely one of those games that is very close to my heart. Um, and so with that, I mean, let's go to the second game. And guess what? It's another Squaresoft game <laughs> because Squaresoft had a phenomenal, phenomenal run on the PS1. We, we love Squaresoft on the PS1. Um, and that game is one-hander or as it's actually called Einhander. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what an amazing, amazing game. Just a left field game from Squaresoft. I mean, who would have thought that Squaresoft would have knocked it out of the park in any genre that they would have decided to tackle? I mean, they were known as the RPG makers. Mm-hmm. And then they just came out with a fighting game in Bushido Blade, another honorable mention. Bushido Blade 2, um, yeah. Yeah, Bushido Blade 2, and they came out with a, a racing game eventually, and it's just Quersoft could do no wrong at the time. And so in this year, where you have Radiant Silver Gun, which is a very one of the best shoot-em-ups ever made, you also have Einhander, which also has a stake in being one of the top shoot-em-ups ever made, I think. Um, and that game, when I first played it, I played it in a demo uh, because Squaresoft was very good about, you know, putting its games on demos, you know, back in the day. And I just, I, I just remember one thing that struck out on me. I must have been like eight, so I was pretty young, um, or nine. Um, and I just remember the operatic, you know, soundtrack, you know, it was a very techno electronica soundtrack, but with opera in the background. And it just, had a very menacing tone to it and just the way that you could switch you know your guns and stuff like that and you could pick up guns you know you know you would take down enemies and you know you would absorb their guns and stuff like that it just made it for a very it was my first introduction to a shoot 'em up game so that's the first thing and so i think that that gave me the impression that all shoot 'em up games were like this and and that's not <laughs> quite the case yeah um and I just think that this is one of those games that, you know, maybe it did in the service plot in the run of 16. In fact, I'm fairly sure that, you know, it, it did not. Um, but at the same time, it's so underappreciated. It's just one of those games that just deserves to be mentioned a lot more. And, it, you know, at the end of the day, I guess that goes to the point that shoot-em-ups are just a niche genre. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard to make the case for shoot-em-ups, you know, in the grand context of the gaming landscape. Um, but it's just a very underappreciated game. So I don't know how you guys feel about Einhander. Uh, I certainly uh, love yeah. it. But what do you think, Paul? I thought it was I thought it was good. I, I think your opinion of it is higher than mine. Um, my my issue with it really was that it just kind of felt sterile. It, it didn't really feel like it had the kind of personality that a Radiant Silver Gun has. I'm not just talking about like story mode. Even just like the color palette is a little bit dark and drab um, in Einhander. The action's great, though. You know, the fact that it's not that bullet hell subtype, obviously, you know, that's a huge plus for me. And the soundtrack, you're right. I I mean, I agree anyway. It's subjective. But I I actually kind of liked how offbeat the soundtrack was. Um, Again, not your your typical fare for that type of game. Yeah. I mean, Anthony, did you play it back in the day? Yeah, this was like... um... There were certain times where, like with my PlayStation that I needed a game to fill like to fill like a little gap, little niche for me. Um, at one point, I needed a platformer, and there was Kalanoa, which I you know it, it is what it was, you yeah. know that kind of thing. And for me, Einhander was the shoot 'em up that I needed at the time. And it's a shame. It's it's a really good game, and and I, I agree with Paul. Like it, 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 I don't think it could hold a candle to Radiant Silver Gun, but 
as far as games that were released here in the U.S. at the time, this was as good as it got. And I think it sucks that a lot of people haven't been able to play it since the PlayStation era, though. That's the only mm-hmm. thing that kind of holds it back. Yeah. That and the use of 3D in it is really right. good. You know, at a time where these kind of games were kind of struggling to make the transition, you know, it's a better, in that regard, it's definitely a better game than, like, say, Thunder Force 5, which, you know, struggled a little bit more incorporating that 3D in there. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. They re- that's, yeah, to your point, because I remember on the previous episodes, we were talking about how the, they had a problem transitioning. But, yeah, you're right. Of, of Square, of all, of all companies, too, like, they were able to implement <laughs> this, like, so yeah. perfectly. Yeah, and, and you know it's funny because I, you know, you say that it's sterile, uh, Paul, but all the things that you mentioned were the reasons why I enjoyed it. You know, I really like the Blade Runner, you know, inspired aesthetic, um, and I really liked how dark and oppressive it was because I felt like it was very cohesive in its in its identity. Um, so maybe it didn't work for you because you were more accustomed to kind of like the more Japanese. Uh, you know, anime-inspired games like like Radiant Silver Gun, probably. Um, but for me, I hadn't even seen anime at the time, so um, it, you know that was I, I loved sci-fi even as a kid, and so this game kind of brought that kind of uh, identity and tone yeah. to it. Um, so what you saw as a negative, I saw as a positive actually. <laughs> that uh, yeah. that Japanese cover art also gets it top sixteen in my book. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, man, and then they change. Oh geez. yeah, the the American yeah, cover art is a crime. On. That's a crime. Yeah. We could do an episode on cover art that changed from <laughs> Japan to the West. Yeah. And it would be terrible because this isn't a visual medium. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think no, the North American cover is bad. I, I actually bad. quite like it. It's not it's bad. Not the Japanese cover is so to great. The Japanese one, I think that one's so much I I just think it's oh. clever. I like it. Yeah. It's just a hand. Yeah. Literally. Because the game's name is one hander. Yeah. So you have a hand. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. the cover. <laughs> but it's X ray, it looks super dope. Yeah, and it's it's actually, you know, and so fortunate. I mean, it's just, it hasn't been re-released by Square. Yeah. You know, they did a very good job during the PS3 era um, of re-releasing their PS1 games, and, and those were then playable on the Vita yeah. and also on the PSP. Um, but Einhander was just one of those that got stuck behind. I don't know if there were some licensing issues, you know, with respect to it, why they couldn't re-release it. And now the game goes for like $100 um, CIB. So it's kind of hard to you know, play the game nowadays if you're not willing to splurge a little bit. Um, But it's definitely a game that's worth revisiting. I I really do hope that Square um, not only brings it back, but maybe comes back with a sequel. You know, I like its kind of Greek mythology inspired, uh, you know, story and plot and, um, you know, the kind of war between the moon and this colony. And um, it's, it's just, you know, I don't know. I really like everything about it. It's not, like I said, the best game of 98 but it's just a very cool you know exciting and, and, and intriguing game from that just very prolific era of scoresoft yeah um do you do you so, think that excluding the story it's worth importing if it's much cheaper that way oh yeah 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 absolutely i mean the, the thing with with them with importing it is that you know you need to have some way to play it. yeah you know the ps1 is region locked so at that point, you know, if you're going to get a, a, a Japanese PS1, you know, to kind of play this, um, you might as well just get the U.S. version. Yeah. Um, I would say Fair because enough. it's not cheap enough that, you know, it's like $50, yeah. you know, to, to get it from Japan. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to spend another $50 to get a Japanese PlayStation, <laughs> then you might as well just 
get the North American version. Unless you're going to import a lot of other games, yeah, in yeah. which case it's a, it's a perfectly good investment. Um, so, but yeah, that's Einhander, that's Parasite Eve. Um, those are my honorable mentions. And so uh, let's close it out by having an honorable mentions to the honorable mentions. So uh, we're going to insert some violence here. So cue the violence. <laughs> um, and so this is the in memoriam section, the games that we didn't get to talk about. Oh, um, it's the, certainly more than eight, you know, from, yeah. you know, the ones that we've talked about. Um, actually, 10 since we included Jeff. Um, so these are the honorable mentions to the honorable mentions. So let us remember Fallout 2. The, really the like the one that not only got shafted from the tournament but also got shafted from the honorable <laughs> the honorable mentions i know got God shafted damn. twice and we actually consider this game as yes. part of the original ones yeah yeah it made it very close to that final 16 it did and then we yeah. just don't even mention it today <laughs> <laughs> so carrying on with our in memoriam crash bandicoot worked yep. mm. um i actually think the better platformer than Spyro the Dragon and even Banjo Kazooie, um, so I don't know why this one was not picked. And I was, I was honestly you considering for this one. I, I was stumping for this. I was gonna pick it over Einhander, and then I realized Einhander is just a game I couldn't skip talking about. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to pick it just to mention that it's better than Spyro. Yeah, I mean, and it's certainly we'll definitely. I think, I think Fallout and Crash will both get their due in time with episodes. Like I could s- definitely see us do a Fallout episode, a Crash episode. Oh, I don't yeah. know, but more than li- more likely than Spyro at this point. <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> i think we've talked enough about spyro um just that that episode was good enough uh, for me um so continuing on brave fencer musashi yep. another squaresoft game that came out in 1998 unfortunately i don't think any of us had enough experience with it to kind of give it its proper due and it certainly doesn't seem to have you know the level of esteem you know to kind of carry it into the the you know the round of 16 it did so have, um, uh, it did have that final fantasy 8 demo though well and you know yeah. what that's it's like it's the toe ball of the era it, it, it's weird man it kind of went from like being underrated and now i think it's overrated yeah it, it was yeah it was a good game i don't know yeah 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 for sure um so carrying on rival schools mm-hmm. another oh, yeah. offbeat capcom fighting game you know yeah. capcom was just pumping out this lovely games yeah. so rival schools Definitely a very, very different game, you know, with a school, uh, you know, theme um, and having like, you know, different classes and stuff like that. So And very uh, good for the PlayStation because yeah. it wasn't an arcade port. Like this is a game that's developed for the console. It's so signed for it. It didn't yeah. really suffer for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think this one's so justifiably carry- left off. It's too niche. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I would say so. So carrying on, Pocket Fighters, uh, a very, very addicting game and one of the most competitive and uh, awesome games to play with friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pocket Fighters, another great Capcom gem, but as, actually a puzzle yeah. game. So oh, you're thinking game. of Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, yes, that's yeah, exactly what I I'm thinking about. I saw you put Pocket about. Fighter on the list, and I was like, okay, I'm not going <laughs> to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, cool. Yeah, But yeah, no, no, Puzzle I'm actually Fighter thinking of that. Thank you, is, thank you, Paul. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, that, is, that is a hell of a game. And like you said, Ozzy, a great, great competitive yeah. puzzle yeah. game. Maybe even like the first great... Nah, nah, Tetris was... Tetris was... <laughs> yeah, never mind. I'll shut up about that. But as an alternative to Tetris, you could do a lot worse than Puzzle Fighter. Yeah. 
Exactly. So another great RPG, Breath of Fire 3. Uh, uh, God, this is all like Capcom now. What the, what's going on? <laughs> um, but Breath of Fire 3, again, we don't think that we had enough experience with it to really kind of give it its proper due. Yeah. And again, it's not a game that we think, you know, has enough esteem to kind of carry it into the round of 16. Uh, but certainly worth a mention. Um, another game, House of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know House of the Dead. Yeah. It's lovely. Uh, ultimately, I think we can all agree it's a little bit too light, you know, to carry it into the top 16. Yeah. Um, get it? Light. Ah. Um. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but House of the Dead, I know, Anthony, you were considering maybe talking about it, so I know that you love it. Um, it just didn't It d- didn't have enough weight, yeah, was, you know, in order to go It was a fun arcade game, 16. but nothing yeah. more than that. Yeah. yeah. So another game, Burning Rangers, uh, came out on the Saturn, one of the last ones of the Saturn yeah. era. We gave you um, Panzer Dragon Saga, and that, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> that's all, that's all <laughs> you yeah. Saturn people get. That's it, that's it for you <laughs> for you Saturn fellas. I mean, the 98, 98 was a very bad year for the Saturn, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's the year that it finally met its gruesome demise. Um, so... Sorry, Bernie Stoller. Um, you made very, very many kids unhappy, including Paul. Indeed. Um, yeah, so uh, another game that Jeff thought about including, but uh, he ultimately decided against it. International Superstar Soccer 98. Yep. I don't know why he would pick this game. I do. But I know exactly why I'd pick this game. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm being very sarcastic here. You know, no, but it's, it's also British like this is the first time FIFA was really challenged and surpassed. Mm. International Superstar Soccer really just elevated the the whole genre. Um, I, I know you guys don't quite see it, but trust me, it's it's a worthy inclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Konami, Konami. I mean, was the only competitor to FIFA, you know, yeah. and eventually they did it with the winning eleven games. Yep. You know, and the Pro Evo eventually became the Pro Evo yep. game. So exactly, um, you know, it's all it, it, it's all the same. Like all the name changes probably didn't help, and including yeah. name changes across regions. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it just became Pro Evo, and they consolidated. You know, to their credit, they finally got that right. Um, yeah, exactly. But this was really kind of like the breath of fresh air in that genre. Yeah, and to finish it out, uh, the last game honorable mention to the honorable mentions is Bushido Blade Two, and uh, I know Paul, you have opinions about Bushido Blade. <laughs> I don't like uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, a lot of people do. Um, the first Bushido Blade was, from what I understand, a lot better than Bushido Blade Two. Bushido Blade Two was seen as a, as a step down. So I definitely don't have any qualms about not including it there. But then again, I mean, this honorable mentions to the honorable mentions is like a who's who's list of like SquareSoft and Capcom going up against each other. Um, they just had a, a really good year, man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the heydays of those, uh, you know, giants of the industry. Um, so I think that's it. I will say I do. I do have one more game that I feel compelled to add because it's the game that I think most people have mentioned to me about not being in it. Um, and that is King of Fighters 98. Um, since we kind of stole the look <laughs> and name. I feel compelled to mention King of Fighters 98. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no yeah. there's no love loss here with me. I'm I'm not a huge King of Fighters fan personally, but I mean, <laughs> many people see it as the pinnacle of the series. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I, I prefer 97, but if people come to me and say 98's the pinnacle, I'm not really going to argue very hard. Um, you know, the top of they were at the top of their game for a great series, so yeah. I can see why people would say that. 
definitely not making the round of 16. Sorry, guys. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, definitely I'm, a, not. I'm as big a stand for King of Fighters <laughs> as anybody. But yeah, yeah it's it's not making the, the round of 16. Uh, now, now that you mentioned SNK, I should also mention Metal Slug 2 yep. came out that year. Metal Slug 2 came out on the Neo Geo. It was amazing. I think it was in every way a step up from the first Metal Slug. It kind of took everything that made it good and just added a ton more stuff to it. Um, so Metal Slug 2, and particularly its iteration as Metal Slug X, um, are probably the best representations of the Metal Slug franchise and perhaps the best games in the Metal Slug franchise. Yeah. I personally think Metal Slug X takes that uh, takes that title. Yeah. Um, so I don't think Round of 16 material, but definitely one of the highlights of 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, did we miss anything? I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah. No, we I think, we're, I think we're good. <laughs> are we scraping the barrel here? We'll never, we'll never not miss something. This year is just, it's insane. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I mean, I think we've gone long enough. Um, so thank you very much, everyone, for joining us on this special King of Games 98. This is probably the longest King of Games 98 episode that we've done, <laughs> but it kind of deserved it because there were so many good games that came out this year. Uh, but it's been the Region Free Gamers. Again, we're the, re- the, blah, blah, blah. we're the podcast that is fluent in gaming, but we can't speak. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you like what you hear, like Paul mentioned twice, um, you know, definitely go over to Apple Podcasts and, uh, you know, subscribe to us, maybe download some of the episodes. We have a ton of episodes at this point, certainly over 60, I think, at this point. Um, I would definitely say maybe even over 70. So we're definitely in the backlog. 70s. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if there's a particular topic that you like, you know, just download that. You know, some of our earlier episodes were a little bit rough, but, you know, they still have a lot of heart, I would say. They um, have charm. And, yeah, exactly. Yes, I tried very yes. hard. <laughs> and uh, you can find us at uh, on Instagram at Region Free Gamers Podcast, and also find us on a website which we haven't done a very good job of keeping up to date. But that's uh, Region Free Gamers. Um, you can also contact us via email if uh, you roll that way, um, and we don't judge. Um, and also, you can find us on Twitter at Region Free Gamer without the S. And so, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, until next time, I don't know. Keep gaming. <laughs>